Good morning. The scripture reading for today is from John 3, 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. <clears throat> Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at this passage that we know so well, we pray that you might meet with us, that you might fill us, you might open our eyes and ears, that we might hear from you again today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I've asked people before, how many of you have ever uh, memorized John 3.16? And I get a lot of hands up. So let me ask, who has memorized this verse before? How many of you, has ever, it was the first verse that you were ever asked to memorize? Kind of an important thing. One little church that I, I, I got to preach this uh, passage at, they, every hand <laughs> stayed up. So it was, uh, for their generation, their area, it must have been the thing to do. Now, a few weeks ago, I was asked to send in a short bio to Liz for the, for the website. And unlike any other church website I've ever seen, is it was updated quickly and efficiently, <laughs> and it was current. Actually, it was ahead of schedule. It was amazing. Um, but I, as I've had the opportunity to speak, well done, Liz, and everybody else on the team. Yes. But as I've gotten a chance to speak at other places, occasionally I ask, they, they ask me for a headshot or something like that. And I've only had one formal headshot taken in my life. 
Uh, you can see it on the church website. It's, it's, it's a few years old. Just pretend. But when I spoke at my old church that I was at, I had some friends there. And so not only did I send the formal shot, I also sent some shots that I, I thought would have been funny. Luckily, they, they, they held on to their better graces and just laughed along with the email and did not post them anywhere. Because I realized after I sent it what a strategic error that was on my behalf. But imagine if I gave the the bio about a little bit about Ken Buck and his family, what if I had sent just a baby picture? And, okay, cute, he, the, the little baby, okay, it looks like Winston Churchill, got it. <laughs> but if I said, that's my story, it'd feel a little odd, wouldn't it? It'd feel a little bit lacking. It'd feel like a little bit of closure. We need more to the story. And in some ways, I feel that's the way that we have kind of taken with John 3.16 is we, we kind of cut it out of this passage, this conversation with Nicodemus. We cut it out of the story of what God's been doing, and we kind of turn it into just this gospel in a nutshell, this gospel in, in, in one verse kind of place. And it, I understand why, and I don't think that's wrong. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine actually came to Christ because of John 3.7, not 16. It was John 3.7. When it said, you must not be surprised when I say you must be born again. And he was confronted with the idea that he needed to actually be born again and give his life to Jesus in a way that was different. Sometimes we can just take a look at these little gospel snippet verses and we can take them out of context and we can reduce them down into being a, a picture of the whole. Almost as if I sent in a baby picture and said, here's my life. We can take a look at our conversion moment or that conversion verse and say, here's our faith. So what is eternal life? What is the eternal life that John was writing about? It's easy to reduce conversion down to some form of fire insurance or, or, or just merely a view of the afterlife. Imagine on the cross, if Jesus, on the cross, Jesus tells the one crucified with him that that day he would be with Jesus, where? In paradise. How do you, what do you think of when I say Paradise. Take a moment. Think it through. I won't ask for hands, but how many of you have palm trees involved in this? <laughs> you see, we're conditioned to think about some things, and we then make that the story. Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. And we start thinking about palm trees and Mai Tais and someone delivering them. Apparently, whoever works in paradise, apparently they really like working because it's paradise for them too, I guess. We'll just deal with that. But is what John is offering here, is it really just an entrance into a never-ending, endless, eternal vacation? Is John merely talking about getting into heaven with this passage? So in order to understand this, we have to get into the world of John. And in John's world, he speaks often. If you read his letters or this gospel, you'll see he speaks in light and dark. He speaks in, in, a, in a dualistic worldview. He's very influenced, I'm guessing, by the Greeks, by the Platonistic worldview of the things above and the things below, the things in reality and the things in the physical reality. That's Plato's world, and John is speaking to Greeks, and he's adopted this worldview, and so he speaks often with a particular Greek worldview that took a dualistic pairing about the world. 
John is adopting communication through a, a, what some call a two-tier story. See, there's above, below. There's heaven, and there's earth. There's good, and there's evil. There's light, and there's dark. So you'll see that John often writes about the contrast and the battle and the fight and the difference between Jesus as light of the world and those in the darkness of the world. And this is a little bit different than the synoptic gospels. You see, in the synoptic gospels, if those are, that's the, a, a fancy word to talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because if you ever look through and read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's almost like they were written from each other. And some would argue that Matthew and Luke did write from Mark and some other sources. They kind of used them as crib notes. So all of their language tends to be a little bit more similar. All the order of their stories tends to be a little bit similar. And then there's John. He comes in out of left field, speaking about light and darkness. I often call John the hippie of the Gospels because he starts out with, I just, this is my own rendering. This is, my Greek was not this good, but in the beginning was the word man, like, I just thought, I just always pictured whoever, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and like, you know, the word was God, and he's getting really kind of out there and physical, and you kind of just expect him to be just happy all the time. And so John's different because he starts talking about eternal life, but it's the same that we find that when Matthew starts talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So what I want to offer to you is don't just let's start thinking about palm fronds and frozen drinks when we hear about entering eternal life. But think about the entrance into the kingdom, the kingdom life, the new creation, new kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate and install. So therefore, we must try to leave behind our inherited, our inherited re, uh, revivalist mindset when we're reading the Gospel of John. We must stop only showing our baby picture, so to speak. And we st must start remembering that Jesus is talking about new life, eternal life, in the now, not merely the afterlife. Eternal life is talking about the in-breaking of the new kingdom, the in-breaking of Christ's new world. The king has come. The Messiah has arrived. The new life, the new world, the eternal life has begun with Christ himself and his followers taste it, experience, embody, realize it in the moment, in the now, not in the, merely the afterlife. So let's get back to John chapter 3. So Nicodemus, teacher of the law, bigwig in the, in the church there of the time, he comes to Jesus, well, at night. And again, here we have interesting. Jesus is the one of whose light and Nicodemus comes to him in the dark. Some have argued that that's when theological conversations were for. Fine, maybe. But it still seems a little bit unique that John makes sure to highlight. He came at night. He came discreet. He came on the down low or on the sly, didn't he? And he comes to him and he says, Jesus, I know who you are, rabbi. Which is a, indeed a big honor for Nicodemus to acknowledge Jesus is a rabbi. Well, that's high praise. That's, a, that's affirmation. That's recognition and realization. Jesus should probably be happy about that, right? Except for the fact that Nicodemus has an idea of who he thinks Jesus is, but he has no idea, does he? He does rightly see Jesus is a rabbi. He is from God. He's clearly doing things that could only happen if God were with him. So he acknowledges, 
acknowledges you're a rabbi, but he puts Jesus in his box where he thinks he understands him. He thinks he knows him. He thinks he owns the big picture of what's begun. Then Jesus does a classic Jesus thing and starts hitting him with, you must be born again. Nicodemus, like you and I, kind of sit there and think, how do we do that? What does that mean? And just so you know, in the Greek language, the language that's on, and some of our translations have it differently. Some, it says, you don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And some say, you must, be, don't be surprised, you must, when, you, when I say you must be born from above. The language means either or. It's, it's perfectly fine grammatically. And I think Jesus is playing kind of a little bit of a word game there, that you must be born above. And Nicodemus clearly takes it with, how do we, do we go back to our moms and get born again? That is not going to be possible. So Nicodemus is coming from a position where the people of God are known, they're identified because they are whom? The people of Abraham. That is known. That's not in question for Nicodemus. So the idea of being born again is not about a spiritual renewal. The idea of being born into God's new kingdom, well, that's already been done because I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a faithful child of Abraham. That is a big contrast because God's people are Abraham's children. And God's not people are everybody else, the goy, the people of the world, the nations. And they can convert, but there's a process on how to do that. And let's stay in our processes. But is Jesus a big fan of the process at this moment? Is Jesus a big fan of the fact that, oh, yes, God, that's right, God's only blessing one tribe on all the earth? No. Because Jesus came to bring about the new. Jesus came to inbreak and bring new creation to this world. Jesus is making it known and offered far and wide. Very truly, he says, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Don't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again or you must be born from above. Don't be surprised at that, Nicodemus. Earlier in this book, John said, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become what? The, oh, you know your Bibles. That's really cool. You become the children of God. No longer are we barred from it because of our birthright or our birth line. Faith is our entrance into this kingdom. Faith is our entrance into this family. Born not of natural descent, not of human decision, not even of a husband's will, which was apparently a big deal at you know, certain points of human existence, but born of God. These people were born of God because why? Because the Spirit moved. I love that analogy that Jesus goes with. We don't see where the wind is blowing, but we see its effects, Right? I was actually up in the Finger Lakes uh, over Easter week. And uh, you might guess from time to time, the Finger Lakes, if you've ever been up there, that there's not a lot of trees, and they're wide open, and there's a north wind can blow down the valleys of those. And when it blows, it's howling winds. You can actually get surfable waves on these little lakes in central New York. It's really fun to see. But down this one lake that we go to at this park, Stewart Park in Ithaca, they have just rows and rows and rows of willow trees. I don't think there's anything more majestic than a willow tree. I'm a personal fan of them. 
And I was out there and I was taking all these photos as if each photo was going to reveal something uniquely different. As the, you could just see, the willow fronds were just, the, the, just blown at a side angle in this stiff, stiff wind. I could not see the wind, right? But I could see where the wind was blowing because those palm fronds were the dead giveaway. And we can see, we can't see the Holy Spirit moving, can we? But we can see the effects of where the Holy Spirit's moving. We see it in the lives of people. We see it in the lives of communities. We see it in the lives of of changed hearts and changed faith. We can see the Spirit moving. And Nicodemus couldn't wrap his mind around that question. How can people who are not born into Abraham's children be born into God's family? He's doing a little head scratcher. But see, this is the good news. This is the gospel good news that Nicodemus did not yet understand. The gate is open. The barriers have been torn down. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, there are no walls. In Jesus' view of new life and new world and new creation, there are no walls and barriers between nations and peoples and tribes. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see, you and I, if you follow Jesus, you've been born from above, not by your own works, not by your wisdom, not by your resume of good deeds, not by your philanthropic efforts, not not even by your sympathetic tweets during a crisis or your sharing of a post of something on a social media. None of that saves us. None of that changes our identity. None of that actually brings about God's goodness in this world, but instead it's the moving of the Spirit, and we've been born from above. We've been born into a new life. We've been born into the eternal kingdom life of God's family by his will and by his decision. That's what it means for us to be born of the Spirit. I hope that is good news. I hope that is good news, that the gates are wide open that the walls have been knocked down. The light has broken through the darkness. Now, one thing I want to do is, like, let's not get too caught up in that light and dark metaphor, because one of the potential problems with that is, is if we start getting caught up like, oh, yes, I know Jesus. I've seen the light. I've received Jesus. I'm a child of the king. All is well. I'm eternally forgiven. I'm eternally secure. Therefore, everything I do is on the good side. You can see how we can easily slide into thinking that everything we do after knowing Christ is reflective of Christ, is positively reflecting Christ. And everybody who's on the outside clearly has a negative motivation and eternal motivation of destroying Christ because we're on this dualistic light and dark world. And I think that's probably good for what what John's writing for here, But it's probably not good for us to just take that and impose that as the lens that we look through everybody in life. Because then we are not self-critical, are we? Then we are not being open to how much do we still need more of Jesus, more transformation, more new kingdom, so that we may. And sometimes we start to get a little bit arrogant and we can start to judge others' motivations that we have no privy to. So I think one of the best things to do is live in that world of, I know Jesus and thank Jesus he's shining the light. And I'm going to do my best to stay in that light. And I'm going to do my best to reflect that light. 
but I'm going to assume good about whom I'm talking to, and I'm going to assume the best about my neighbor instead of the worst. So that's my little caveat, little freebie there. But then Jesus does an interesting twist in this passage, in this story where he talks to Nicodemus. He says, remember Moses and the snake. Very bizarre story back in Numbers, where the people were taken out with the Passover. They're out, they're wandering in the desert 40 years. It's an 11-day trip, but they're only doing it in 40 years. It's a great, great plan. And then they got in some trouble. They were unfaithful to God, and some poisonous snakes were coming through. And people were dying from the poisonous snakes and the snake bites. And then, so Moses gets a bronze snake, because apparently he had one sitting around. And he hangs it up on a cross. And he says, look to the snake and you will live. Great. I don't totally understand why that was. But if you ever drive by an ambulance and you see the little snake, and apparently there's a name for this. I don't know what it is. I've heard it. But it's to represent the idea, look to the snake, look to the cross, and you'll be healed. And medical organizations have taken that as an icon for the sense that they bring healing. But one of the things N.T. Wright said, that when we look to Jesus on the cross, when we look to Jesus on the cross, like Moses asked the people to look to the snake, it's, it's not that Jesus is a snake on a cross, but instead, no, Jesus says, when he, N.T. Wright says, when Jesus was raised up on the cross, the fullness of evil took its shot. The fullness of evil took its attempt and shot at Jesus, the Son of God and God himself, who offered himself up on that cross, who allowed himself to be betrayed, to be beaten, to be, be crucified as a criminal. He took the full brunt of evil, the full brokenness of this world, and it was poured out upon him. That's why we look to the cross. Because of Jesus on that cross, no one, let me say it again, because of what Jesus did on that cross, no one is beyond the new life. No one is beyond receiving eternal life. No one is beyond being included as a child, a precious child of God. Why? Because Jesus came to heal the sick. He came to heal the sick. He came to save the world. And that's where we come to the title of this sermon. For God so loved this world. I wish it was translated that way. It's not. For God so loved the world. But I want to take it to, for God so loved this world. And if I may just take a little bit of a moment down that path. This world. That's right. This world where Ukraine is in a bloody, bloody battle. Where the people of Myanmar are still in a, some kind of a battle that's at, since 1948, internally. Where Syria and Turkey are still having fighting within their borders and, and, and amongst different tribal groups. Where South Sudan is still having infighting amongst the people. Where the people in, in Nigeria are, there's a small group of people that just want to destroy everything and take people hostage and kidnap. And the, I checked up, I looked up last night, I said, how many wars are going on in the world? At 10,000 deaths and above, or actually at that, over 1,000 deaths a year, there's 20 different wars going on in the, in the world. You go below that, at 1,000, around 1,000 or less deaths a year, there's another 40-some conflicts going on. 
God loves this world? I did a little research. Globally, 47% of the population of this earth, human population, lives on less than $7 a day. I'll spend, I don't want to tell you, I'll spend more than that when I take a couple of my kids to Starbucks to get a double-blended non-coffee drink at a coffee shop. And yet, some people are having to live their whole existence off of that. In this country, 38 million people uh, live below the poverty rate, and that poverty rate was set around 1960 and hasn't been changed since, so you know it's worse than that. In the state of Pennsylvania, 12% of the state of Pennsylvania lives below poverty line. Just down the road, I drive through Chester on my way to come to work and come to church. Uh, 38% of that town, 38% of that po town's population lives under poverty. Did you know that uh, 2 million, roughly 2 million new cases of cancer are found in the United States alone every year? Over 600,000 of them result in deaths. The amount of neglect, the amount of corruption, the amount of deceit and division, the amount of power grabbing, you know the world. Pick your news station of choice and just find out how the other side is evil. And then switch to this station of not your choice and find out how the other side is evil. And then realize there's a whole bunch of people selling you ads to make your life supposedly better, but meanwhile they are stripping away your soul at every turn. And if you've raised children or you are raising children, I'm in the club with you. They can't live without these devices that are actively destroying them. Why do I say this? Because God loves this world. Not the world that we would imagine, not the world that we'd like to create, not the world that we'd like to economically just carve out and ignore everything else around it. No, God loves this world with the wars, with the abuse, with the corruption, with the disease, with the disasters, with the paralyzed powerlessness of power. God so loved the world that he gave his only son and he let the spirit blow where it will because he loves our world that is sick, that is so violent, that is deceitful. <coughs> it is cruel. The church that I've been serving at up in New York, they're having a guest speaker today. His name is Pastor Mike. He comes from a little vineyard church up in Ithaca. And I got to meet Pastor Mike in November. You see, one of our fa church families, they adopted a son years ago, and uh, this son had a lot of just issues. He had a lot of real serious health, mental health issues and ultimately led to him just living on the streets. And despite the family's best efforts of trying to help him and call him in, and he just preferred his life on the streets because it gave him, I don't know, it's, just, it's where he was. Well, one night in October... In around 40 years old, two in the morning, he was uh, in an altercation. Somebody tried to take something from him and ultimately ended up taking his life. The reason why I tell you this is that's one of those, that's, that's this world. That's a picture of this world. A kid who needed to be adopted, who got adopted into a loving family, and not perfect family, but a darn good one. But he had so many other mental health issues that he had a long journey of real beauty and real opportunity and real talent and real wonderful things, but also hurt and pain that ultimately had his life snuffed out in the cold at 2 a.m. in Ithaca, New York. 
over what I still don't even know. Probably a blanket or shoes or something petty. Certainly nothing worth the price of a life, a precious, beautiful life. Well, this is where Pastor Mike comes into the story. I was told that he was going to come and help out with the funeral. Great. What an honor I consider it to be considered. I, I can tell you I've met Pastor Mike because he, I see the wind blowing through Pastor Mike's life. See, Mike had some kind, I don't know all his story, but he had one of those two-stage uh, before Christ's life and now after Christ's lives. And he was saved from a lot and some abuse, uh, some drug abuse, some, some substance abuse. And he got saved through a lot of good things. And uh, Jesus is really a passionate part of his life. But you know how Mike, who's got four kids, a wife, family, jobs, you know how he spends a lot of evenings? Walking the streets of Ithaca, checking in on the homeless. Hey, Mike, do you got enough? Do you need a blanket? Do you have some food? Hey, what are you doing with this? Have you checked in at the, at the center? Hey, have you checked in? I think your parents left some messages for you at the phone desk. You should check in and find out about those things. How are you doing? How are you doing? You see, God so loved this world, and I sometimes struggle to figure out what does it look like to love this world. And then I meet Pastor Mike. We heard a testimony this morning in our Sunday school class about what God is able to be doing all over this world. It's not just here in southeast Pennsylvania. It's not in Delaware. It's not just in Delaware. It's, it's over in India. It's over in Sudan. It's over in Ukraine. It's even in Russia. God is moving. And he's calling his people to be born again, to be born from above, to be moved by the Spirit of God, to be changed, and to now live in the light, and to be counted among the children of God. So friends, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, believe in him. Let's realize the eternal together, and let's go. Let's go where the Spirit blows. Let's go where there is pain. Let's go where people are broken. And let's go in the name and power and love of Jesus Christ and do as he would do. Amen? Lord, help us as we try to do what you called us to do. Help us to love as you called us to love. Help us to be courageous. But Lord, help us to be aware, to see how you are moving in and amongst us. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.